my name is Melody Ray, and I'm feeling like a lucky lady today because um, I thought I was going to be sitting alone because my parents couldn't come today. And my sister shows up, and she's been working in a nursing night shift all night, so she has permission to, to yawn during my talk. And my brother-in-law and my friend Tara, so... So yeah, we're going to be talking about um, a lady who doesn't have any support. Let's see if this works. Yeah, the widow of Nain. And Billy Graham nicely introduced um, my talk today, because um, this is from the Gospel of Luke. Um, and Luke is one of my favorite Gospels. Um, he pays special attention to Jesus' concern for the poor and oppressed. And that means he pays special attention to women. Um, and this woman's story that we're going to think about today is only recorded in Luke, so it's extra special. So here's the first line of the story. Rick, help. It's stuck. Okay, we got it. So soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with them. So let's stop there for a second. So, okay, so that's the town of Nain. It's very, very tiny. Um, it still exists. That's what it looks like today. Um, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with Jesus. So this isn't just his uh, 12 disciples. This is a really large um, entourage. And um, what's interesting about Nain is that it's really close to Nazareth. Um, as you can see there, they're the two circles on the top. And there's only, um, I think, four miles between them. Um, so think about the bridge and four miles. That's just not very um, far away at all. Um, and the thing is, with Nazareth, of course, that's Jesus' hometown. Um, and if you'll remember that Jesus couldn't do a lot of miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. And they even tried to throw him off a cliff once for, for being Jesus. Um, so people in Maine would definitely have heard about Jesus and would have heard about all that he was claiming to be, um, but whether they shared the same beliefs, we don't know. Um, it's interesting to think about. Okay. So as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, um, and, and she was a widow. So imagine a funeral, the tone of it, especially a funeral where the person has been taken early. Um, the heaviness and the somberness. And, and this one is, was especially sad because the boy was survived by his mom, who was a widow and had no other sons. Uh, women in the New Testament had no rights. So if she was a widow, the only reason she had rights to land or to anything at all was because she had a son. And now that the son died and there's no male relative for her to identify herself with, she has two choices. She can um, sell herself into slavery um, or become a prostitute. Um, there is a possibility that there's a distant male relative who can take her in, but even then she would, she would be a slave. Um, so this poor woman, she lost her husband, um, now her son, and then her whole future. Um, and it says a large crowd from the town was with her. So I love this, um, this really dramatic picture that we're getting of these two groups meeting face to face. We have um, this widower who's, you know, entrenched in grief, and Jesus and her followers. And I think it's just such a true picture of Jesus and how he just meets people suffering face to face. Um, 
and he's just not fearful of anything. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. So some translations say he was moved by compassion. I really like that phrase. The disciples and Jesus were probably asking around, like, what's going on? What's this big crowd? And Jesus heard this, this story and saw her and was moved, probably thinking, oh, this poor woman. And it's interesting to know that at this point, um, Jesus' mom was a widow, um, but she had a few sons, so she was safe. And he said to her, don't cry. He speaks to her, and this is a bit odd because in, in biblical times, men and women did not speak together in public. It was a bit of a taboo thing. Um, but Jesus just breaks all the rules out of his compassion. And then he went up and touched the bear and they were carrying him, that they were carrying him on, and the bear stood still. Um, so the bear is, there's a picture of it, what, what we think what it looks like. It's like an open wicker basket. Um, and the fact that he touches the casket is pretty significant because it means he's going to be ritually unclean, which means he can't um, teach for the next seven days. Um, and it says the pallbearers just stood still. They're just, you can just see them like, what is he doing? This, this is a very odd, like, even in our day, right? If there was a funeral, if someone came up and touched the casket, it would be strange. Um, so the crowd is shocked. Um, and then Jesus starts talking to the corpse. <laughs> He said, young man, I say to you, rise. And the word rise is the same word for resurrection. And Jesus here is responding to the, word, to the needs of the woman, not the son, who has gone on to a better place. Um, and notice how no one asks Jesus um, for help because they have no idea that he can raise from the dead. Um, but he, he does it, and now the son can inherit the husband's estate and care for the woman in her old age. I really wish we knew what her name was. Anyway, um, the dead man sat, sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I also really want to know what he talked about. Um, and this part where it says Jesus gave him back to his mother, um, it kind of suggests that he's scooping up um, the son and, and physically giving him in a very intimate gesture. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. This is a big theme in Luke, praising God. You'll see that phrase over and over. Um, a great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Probably definitely would have hit Nazareth. Um, and it's really interesting to see that difference in response between Nazareth and Nain. Um, so Nain saw, him, saw Jesus as a great prophet. Um, and this juxtaposition seems deliberate. Um, so Luke is holding both responses up to us and asking, what are we going to do? How will we respond to Jesus? Will we see him as being sent by God, or will we try to throw him off a cliff? Um, so, yeah, this was... Okay, well, I'll get to that. Okay. Um, so I think one of the... Um, well, I'll just say that one. <laughs> Um, so this is translated, that last few verses of Luke, um, through the message, Eugene Peterson. I just love how it's, uh, the wording of it. So they all realized they were in a place of holy mystery, that God was at work among them. So I think one of the messages of the story is when compassion comes to you, jump in. Don't hesitate, dive in off the deep end. 
Do what Jesus did and let it move you, literally move you. I think we often hesitate because there just might be a cost involved, and there often is. Um, but there is a cost for Jesus too. In Mark 3.6, we are told that the Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to kill him. So it would have been better if he had stayed under the radar. Um, and interrupting a funeral is not a very polite thing to do. Uh, still isn't, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then touching the coffin and the dead body made him ritually unclean and unable to preach for a time. He talked to a woman in public, which was culturally taboo. Yet he didn't hesitate. Um, he acted quickly with purposefulness and certainty, and he let compassion move him. I had a professor once who was very eloquent on this subject. I wish he was here, actually, to talk about it. Um, he grew up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, um, a very violent place um, and time to be raised. Um, and he had such a rock-solid conviction on the importance of compassion in the Christian life. Um, I'll never forget how he talked about it. He would say that this is as true as anything I believe. Compassion is the heart of the Christian message because it's the closest we get in the human flesh to the incarnation. He saw Jesus as a compassionate redeemer, willing to get messed up in human messiness, willing to get hurt, bruised, disappointed, rejected, abused, killed, and still doing it um, as a redemptive act of real humanity. This is the gospel we believe. And I'll give you the same assignment that he gave me. He said, just look up in your Bible in the very back, the concordance, and look up compassion and just follow the verses and just see um, what Jesus' actions are. Um, and start to notice where your own compassion lies. So Richard Foster has this great quote. It says, the inner sense of compassion is one of the clearest indications from the Lord that this is a prayer project for you. Um, and I think it'll, it'll seem like a massive deal to you, and you'll look around and no one else is bothered. <laughs> and it's not that you're surrounded by godless people, um, but just I think that everyone has their own particular thing that they feel compassion about, and that's why we need the body of Christ working together. But you are never alone in your compassion. I think that is another thing that the widow teaches us, how present Jesus is. It is never just you and the pipes. Dallas Willard is one of the spiritual giants of our faith and one of my favorite theologians. And one of his big teachings was the availability of the kingdom of God right here, right now. Um, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, when it says, Our Father um, who art in heaven, well, I always read that as our Father, you know, who is very far away, high, high, high up in the skies. Um, but to Jewish people, heaven actually began on the surface of the earth with the air all around us and extended upward. Um, so Dallas taught me that. Um, so the Lord's Prayer is actually saying our God who is around us all the time. Um, and he was a practical guy, very kind of frugal, and um, he reminds me of my dad a lot, actually. Um, and he used to do the family plumbing. Um, and one day he was stumped with the problem. So he had all the pipes laid out on, on the front yard, and he was trying to figure it out. Um, but then he stopped, and in true Dallas fashion, he asked himself, how would I do this plumbing as Jesus would do it? Um, Dallas was a rare breed. <laughs> um, and the answer is as simple as invoking the presence of God. If you encounter difficulties with your own pipes, whatever they may be, whatever struggle you have in your own life, you never fight the battle alone. It is never just you and the pipes. 
There is never a time when Jesus says, woman, you are on your own with this one. Jesus steps into your pipe mess like he did with the widow of Nain without hesitation and with great love. It is never just you in the pipes. It is never just you and that really difficult person at work. It is never just you and your struggles with your child. It is never just you in the driveway that needs shoveling. It is never just you and the mounting bills that need to be paid. It is never just you and the elderly mom you are caring for. It is never just you and the pipes. In fact, the most frequent promise in the Bible is, I will be with you. Um, as Dave Boland read this morning, Psalm 16 says, I keep the Lord always before me. Um, so Jesus is here all around us right now, and our responsibility and even our pleasure is to acknowledge his presence. Um, I think about Jesus and the woman of Nain in that dramatic encounter of meeting face to face, and we have that available to us every moment. It is not just us in the pipes. Everything in the world is going to try to tell us that it is just us in the pipes, and we need to guard against this thinking, fight against it, and remind each other that Jesus is with us. He is closer than we can even imagine, and all it takes is the barest effort of prayer. Um, I remember complaining to my spiritual director once that uh, I just never have the energy to pray, and um, he responded right away. He's like, that's a lie, and you've got to fight against that. Um, don't listen to it. Because he said it takes about as much energy to pray as it does to fall asleep. <laughs> um, the barest effort of ours brings us into the presence of God. Um, so I read this book this week, um, Corey Temboom's The Hiding Place. Um, my family, there she is, isn't she beautiful? Um, my family is a little bit sick of hearing about Corey Temboom because I've been talking about her for two weeks. Um, I don't think our library has a copy, but if anyone wants to borrow mine, you'll get more out of it than any talk I give, I'm sure. Um, it's this remarkable story of this woman and her family um, in Holland, and they saved, um, they became kind of the headquarter for the underground um, and saved many, many Jews during World War II. Um, and eventually the family returned into the Nazis, and Corey and her sister Betsy were sent to, well, this is the house that they lived in in Holland, and there was a little room in the very back here, and they, I think 11 Jews stayed there, uh, lived in this little tiny secret room. Um, anyway, they were turned in, and um, this awful place, um, Ravensbrück, which is a concentration camp in eastern Germany, um, 96,000 women died in this camp. Um, so they were sent here for the last two years of the war, uh, fleas, lice, starvation, 11 hours a day of hard labor, regular beatings below freezing water, weather, um, evil blatantly and seemingly winning everywhere. But it was never just the ten bo booms in Ravensbrook. They found Jesus everywhere. Um, they held um, nightly and morning um, devotions and worship services in the concentration camp. And the place was ravaged by fleas, so the guards wouldn't come in. Um, so they thanked God for the fleas every time they, they met. And um, so their future was just as stark and stripped as the widow of Dane. And yet in the end, they proclaimed God's vision. Betsy, on her deathbed in the concentration camp, said, we must tell people what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. 
they will listen because we have been here. It is never just you and the pipes. Okay, so Dan, can you play some soft music now? Um, I'm just going to read the passage of Maine to you again in its entirety. And I just want to invite you to see what stands out for you. Um, See who you relate to, whether it's the woman who just lost everything, or the pallbearers who are just stand amazed at Jesus, the onlookers. Um, And just ask God why that moment stands out to you. And um, just let the story work in your imagination. And um, and yeah, just like when you're when um, see if you can see um, Jesus' face um, when he has compassion on the widow. And maybe you can even see how his face looks towards you. Okay, and then we'll just sit for a few minutes and then have the last song. <laughs> 